Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Failed Expectations was given by Bill Dogtrum on April 17th of 2011. You've been uh, following along with us at all in uh, in the uh, series that we've been doing on the Gospel of Mark, the, 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 the coming of the kingdom. Uh, we are taking a, a hiatus from the verse by verse through Mark. Last week was a wonderful kind of buffer in which we just talked about some of the good things that God has been doing in and through our congregation and through the people who come and um, in, in the, the ways that he is at work. Uh, and now through this next little while, we're, we're stopping today and working through a kind of if you can take where we were in the Gospel of Mark and move us forward two years in the life of Jesus, we're now coming to the end of the, the focal point of what it actually is going to mean for the kingdom to come. Jesus has been spending a lot of time talking about the nature of the kingdom, how it is different uh, from, from what everybody expects it to be, um, and yet it is coming with, with relentless love. It just kind of continues to roll out, uh, 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 even though people are, are going to become increasingly resistant. So if you can imagine this kind of magnifying glass that has been kind of moving in and out. And, and finally, in this last week, starting today, Palm Sunday, um, and, and over the next three or four days, this magnifying glass is going to come bring everything into just real crisp, sharp focus. Uh, and, and, and it will become clear and will not be what anybody wants it to be. So, so we have this understanding, this expectation, when on Sunday we stand with the crowds, as Palm Sunday, we're going to walk through this, and yell, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, blessed is the one who comes in the, in the name of the Lord, um, and by Thursday we're going to be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. That, that, how does a crowd's mentality turn that fast? How, how, how can it be that on Sunday... We are with the crowds celebrating the coming of our Messiah, and on Friday, we are jeering as he is put to death. And the answer is very simple. Expectations are disappointed. He doesn't do what we want him to do. Now, if we'd been paying attention for the entire two and a half, three years leading up to this, we would know by now that Jesus is a disappointer of expectations. How many of you have experienced that? Right? He, 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 he will not cash a check that we forge, even if we sign his name on the bottom of it. Right? In Jesus' name. Right? It's, it still bounces. And then who do we get mad at? Who do we get angry at when the check bounces? We get mad at God. We get mad at Jesus. Wait a minute. So in, in kind of in crystalline form here on this day, we see this whole coalition of expectations beginning to fragment from the center. All right? So we're in Matthew's Gospel, uh, uh, and we're looking at the 21st chapter. So if anybody needs a, a copy of the uh, Bible, we've got uh, three or four sets around. Um, looks like everybody's okay. Yeah? Anybody want one? Got one here. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate your help. Uh, and it, so we're in, in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been edging his way towards 
uh, the capital city towards Jerusalem. Uh, over the course of a couple of years, uh, he has been kind of making forays into and out of the city. He shows up at the big festivals, the big feasts, and then goes back into the north where he's kind of under the radar screen and is able to build some momentum uh, for, the, for, for the mission that he is um, um, setting up uh, in terms of God's coming. So now here we are, and I need you to kind of put your head on this. I love the fact that we're doing this on Grand Prix Sunday. Because if you can imagine Jerusalem with a crowd population almost triple the size, you get the feel. Because that's what it is like kind of, kind of here, right? Not so much right here, but if you keep going down and then, and, then, and then over, you've been impacted by the swell of the city. So you take a city that on average would be have somewhere between 50 and 60, 65,000 people, a huge metroplex in the first century. And then because it's Passover, the day of Jewish independence. You with me? Jewish Independence Day. And everybody who is a good Jew is supposed to come to Jerusalem on at least one of the three major holy days, and Passover was the, was the main one. So if you can imagine Grand Prix, Christmas, um, and, 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 and maybe, maybe Fourth of July, all wrapped up into one celebration. Are you with me? So now all of a sudden, instead of 50,000, 60,000 people, we've got 180 to a quarter million people in and around Jerusalem. The, the, the little villages on the sides, Bethany and Bethphage, are, are full up with people who are staying because they'll, they'll come into the city and participate in the celebration and the festival, you with me? And then go back because there's no room for them to stay in, in the city. And you get this ebb and flow. Can you imagine now, if you were a Roman soldier charged with keeping the peace in Jerusalem, what day would you be fearing more than any other day? I'm guessing you might be a little anxious as we got closer and closer to July the 4th, to Passover, to the day in which all of the Jews in all of the world celebrate our liberation and independence from Egypt. You might be kind of wondering about crowds that gather during that celebration, right? Now, what if, what if you had gotten a rumor that a new rabbi, a new Messiah figure was in town? Somebody to whom you might even give the name prophet, like in the book of, of Judges, a man who, who could coalesce both the Spirit of God and the longing of the people. And what if you'd gotten intel that he was coming to town on Passover. And so from Jericho on up, you can feel the, the Jericho on the border, border town uh, on, on the Jordan River, a long journey up the mountain. You with me? So here's, here's, here's where we are. Are you starting to get a feel for, for what's happening here? No? Okay, well... <laughs> I'm trying the best I can. Work with me here. All right? Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, Gospel of Matthew. When, when, when Jesus and his followers had come near to Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Olives Jesus sent two 
disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and they will send them immediately. This, is, this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. The, the prophet he's specifically referring to is Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds went ahead of him. And all that followed were shouting, echoing in those narrow streets, Hosanna, save us, literally, to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in chaos, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You, you, the, the surge, right? You feel the, the tsunami of, 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 of public affection and anticipation and expectation that is beginning, he is beginning to surf his way on that wave of expectation into town. You, you, you feel what's going on? All right, so back it up. Verse 1, they had come near the Jerusalem. He has been making his way almost two and a half to three years to this moment. He has been building building, building towards this moment. Everybody else knows what is going to happen. Jesus is going to ride into town on, in triumph. It is not for nothing that this is happening on Passover, our Independence Day. He is, he is, he is going to take advantage of the popular opinion that has been building to him, and he is going to light a, 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 a spark, a flame to the tinder of public hope and expectation, and he is going to lead us in victory over these Romans. Arm yourselves, citizens. It's time for Israel to come again to it, the forefront of world history. If you can imagine the expectation of Germany after the Second World War building as an Austrian colonel began to excite them with his rhetoric, And speech after speech after speech began to surge that expectation for when that colonel, that corporal, that Hitler would come into town. You can imagine the surge of public affection for someone who had promised to restore Israel again to its former glory. You, 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 you with me? Here's the difference between Hitler and Jesus among the most obvious. <laughs> Hitler said yes to the crowd. Jesus said no. They followed Hitler and killed Jesus. That's the tension. You with me? So here we go. They come into this place. They're a little, little village called Bethphage. It's just outside, kind of a suburb of a suburb, if you can imagine. 
of, of Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem, just down the hill a little bit. Bethphage is kind of a suburb of that. It, it means the, 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 the valley or the, the place of unripe figs. Who cares? Um, so anyway, they're, 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 that's going to become important a little bit later on, though. Um, and, and so they're, they're there. A couple miles out, Jesus sends his disciples into that little village and says, um, as you come into the village, you will see a, a donkey tied and a foal. Untie it and bring it. If somebody uh, stops you, tell them the Lord has need, and they immediately will release the, the uh, donkey and the foal to you. So that's what they did. And, and, and I, I need you to notice that this is already starting to smell like a setup. Right? Because whether or not Jesus prophetically knew there would be a donkey and a foal tied there, or whether there was some arrangement, the point is not how that donkey and foal got there, and whether there had been an arrangement with the owner of that donkey and foal to release them to the Lord. Notice what Matthew says. This happened so that the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, could be fulfilled. Your king comes to you, O Zion, Jerusalem but he's not riding on what you expect him to be riding on. What does a conquering general ride on? What does the commander-in-chief ride on? At least a Hummer. Bring the boy in in style, right? We want him on a great white charger. We want him at least on a chariot with soldiers and arms. And what does this king come on? A donkey. What? A beast of burden, a slave's ride, and he rides in to town on that. He's already beginning, you see, to push back against the expectation. Unfortunately, nobody notices. So strong. Maybe that's all he could get. Maybe he's saving money in the defense budget for the inaugural party. Maybe there's something else happening here that we don't know about, but I know if we continue to encourage one another in the faith, sooner or later he will succumb to our demands and he will lead us in victory. You with me? So they begin this chant, and we can't even imagine this. Imagine a street about the size of Broadway here in terms of distance across. And imagine now hundreds of people lining this street, buildings that have stood for, for decades, generations, centuries in some cases, right? And, and hundreds of people. Imagine now what the rocking and rolling. If some of you were here with us uh, last summer and we had Gospel Fest set up down here, with me? And, and we had hundreds of people and the, and the throb of the, of the drums and the music and the singing. That's how Jerusalem is just vibrating as Jesus comes into that eastern gate and begins to make his way slowly, people have put their, their, their robes on the ground and palm branches, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, on the, on the ground in front of them to prepare the way of the king. Right? Everybody gets the symbolism but Jesus. And nobody gets his symbolism. Are you noticing what we're writing here? This is, this is not a Cadillac. This is not a Lincoln. This is not a presidential town car. This is a Yugo. We're riding into town on a Yugo. Somebody push. Somebody help. 
redefine the expectations of the people of God who don't want to be the people of God if God comes to serve. So he comes, they're yelling back and forth, crying out, Hosanna, this, this cry, save us, has become over the generations a cry of praise. Save us, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna, echoing back and forth. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the Son of David. What a title. They knew who the Son of David was. He was the Messiah. He was the one who was coming to deliver us. David was the greatest king that Israel had known. He is the one that established us in this city. And here we have his son, his political military heir coming into town. Right? Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. So we entered Jerusalem and the whole city was in turmoil, asking back and forth because Jesus, even though he had occasionally made his way into Jerusalem, narrowly defined his mission every time he was there. He almost did everything he did in Jerusalem in and around the temple. So the people at the edges wouldn't have known of him. Right? So they're asking, who is this? What in the world is going on? You show up one day to go shopping and the whole town is rocking and rolling with the cries of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the son of David is riding into town. Never mind what he's riding on. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Four days to Passover. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Just enough time to foment a revolution. Arm yourselves, fellow citizens. And where does he go? You follow it out in verse 12. He doesn't go to the Roman garrison. He doesn't reconnoiter the place of attack. He doesn't go to Pilate's palace and circle it with an eye to strategy. He doesn't Babe Ruth-like point as he's going to hit the ball out of the court, out of the field. Court's not in baseball, am I correct? That would be tennis. Are we okay? So he doesn't, I got Babe Ruth right though. Hello, thank you. Um, I, just a little credit, that's all I need. Um, so, so, so he doesn't do that. What does he do instead? He goes to the temple. And what does he do in the temple? He makes everybody angry. He cleans house. He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a marketplace. It's a place where people, the Gentiles, and specifically the, the court that he cleared was the court of the Gentiles, where people who were not Jewish could come and meet God. And what had happened in that court of Gentiles? They had set up a marketplace, a, 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 an exchange system. And he just clears, clears house. My house is, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Wait a minute, Jesus. Just time out. Who are your handlers? They're, 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 they dropped the ball on this one. You had a great opportunity to start to make some some, some speeches. You know how to do this. You're a brilliant wordsmith. Jesus, come on. Help us out here. No. It's a den of thieves. Oh, Jesus. We're really disappointed. And that disappointment is going to build. 
until Friday morning when close to this very same spot, they will be asked, what should we do with him? And they will say, crucify him. How many know they is us? To the degree that you have been disappointed by Jesus, to the degree that he has not met your expectations, to the degree that you have set yourself up for a certain outcome from him and he has not delivered it to you, you and I will stand there in that square on a Friday morning and when given the option, say, crucify him. This is not the Jesus we want. This is not the Messiah we need. We do not need someone who has come to suffer. We need someone who has come to save us. We need someone with strength. We need someone with power. We need someone with authority. We need someone who can command the military to rise up. We need someone with more power than the Romans have. Because the only way, we know this, the only way to defeat power is with greater power. We had great hopes in you, Jesus, but now you've disappointed us. And Jesus is happy to take on the disappointment, not happy, that's the wrong word, joyful is the right word, to take on the disappointment of the crowd. Because Jesus knows something about power, too. He, after all, spoke the universe into being. He knows a thing or two about power. And what does he know about power? That the only way to defeat power used wrongly is to surrender power used rightly. If we'd been listening, we'd have clued in. It's, this is the guy who said, turn the other cheek. This is the guy who said, let the Roman soldiers command you to carry their pack a mile, but then you carry it the second mile. This is the guy that says, don't assassinate your enemies. Pray for them. Love them. And now he is embodying in himself this kind of servant's heart, this kind of servant's mentality. He's riding into town on a donkey, a beast of burden, because he himself is willing to become a burden bearer for us. We don't want that. We want victory, but we want it on our terms. How many know what I'm talking about? It's a hard one for me. I'm sorry. Three o'clock this morning. I could hardly keep up. I was just writing as fast as I can and, 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 and in terms of just hearing what I think God was saying. Because here's how this works. We want a Savior. We want somebody to come and get us out of the mess we've gotten ourselves in. Yes? But then we want to keep doing the same stuff that got us into the mess in the first place. We want to be saved, not from our sin, but from our sins, from the consequences of our behaviors. We want to be able to screw around all we want, and if we get pregnant, we pray for miscarriage. That's horrible. No, friends, that's exactly what we do. It's hard, isn't it? And Jesus says, sorry, not going to do it. I'm going to let you sit in your consequences whatever they are. And I'm going to come and sit with you. 
no. I'm going to come and sit under you. I'm going to descend lower than you've thought possible for me to descend. I'm going to come underneath your consequences, underneath your shame, underneath your pain, underneath the outcome of the choices of your life, and I'm going to hold you aloft in that so that I can lift you out of it. I don't come just to save you from your mess. I come to save you from yourself. I don't come just to fix the things that you have broken so you can keep breaking them. I come to fix you. I come to redeem you, not just save you. I come to restore life to you. And what do we want? We want a Savior. No. He's a Redeemer. He's a Restorer. He's one that comes into all of our brokennesses and doesn't just fix them so we can break them again. How many, how many in, in some ways, really would like Jesus to be kind of like STP? In this automotive weekend, what does STP do? It's an additive to make the engine run a little better. That's what we want Jesus to do for us. I want to be able to do whatever I want and I want Jesus just to make my life work. Even though I'm pouring sand in the gas tank, I want it to work just as well in Jesus' name. And he says what? No. I'm not going to play our silly little game. He's going to invite us to a wholeness that will cost him and you, yours. Because here's the other thing. We want Jesus, at least I do, to take all of my bad stuff. Lord, I surrender this sin and that sin and that behavior and that practice and that and that and that. And, that. and Jesus is willing to take all of your bad stuff. But guess what? He wants all your good stuff, too. Because we have this notion, at least I do, and again, don't, if I'm projecting here, please, please forgive me, but I think we have this notion that if I could just get rid of all of this bad stuff, I'd be a good person. And Jesus says, no, actually you wouldn't. You're, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. This is who you are. There is no good thing in you. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Can you dig it? And we're saying, no, I want my stuff. I want to negotiate my way out of this. I don't want to be dependent on somebody who comes riding in on a donkey for crying out loud. And he says, well, sorry, I'm all you got. He isn't good enough. This sacrifice isn't good enough. You, there is no hope. I was walking with somebody earlier this week. We're finally pushing back against some, uh, some of the damage that pornography has, has created in relationships. 
and we finally came to the conclusion, the problem's not just pornography so far, it's lust. And so we, he started to pray, Lord, take away my lust. And I realized, no, he doesn't want to deal with the problem. He wants to deal with what he thinks is the problem. Jesus does not come to take away the bad things. In this particular case, lust. He comes to redeem your entire sexuality. To reorient you completely in a righteous way. You see, I've struggled with my temper all my life since I was about 16. With anger. Been my friend. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And, and, and those of us who feel weak or afraid or small or dismissed, anger is the way, like cat in a corner, we become big enough to be noticed. Right? So I want Jesus to take away my temper. And he wants to deal with my insecurity and my fear. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'll take care of this on my own. Just help me not be angry anymore. Anybody else doing this? Three of us. Jerry, I'm so glad you're here, brother. We, we got to die, right? I mean, it's this, it's, this, it's, this, it's this whole dynamic. I mean, here we are. Lord Jesus, get me out of debt. Get me out of debt. Lord, send money. Any, can I get a witness? Right? But we want to stay greedy that got us into debt in the first place. And Jesus doesn't want you not to be greedy. He wants you to live with freedom. Of course, greed will be taken care of. But that's not the problem. Anybody now know why they killed him? Anybody else want some of that action? We are caught in the cycle of power. We're caught in the cycle of revenge. And somebody comes with capacity to absorb all of our pain, all of our sin, all of the stuff that got us into the mess in the first place, and not just help us in the mess, not just help us out of the mess, but help us in the behaviors that got us into the mess in the first place. He's the one I'm going to invite you to spend some time worshiping today. Ryan and Jenny and, and the rest of our, our worship team comes back. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, as we sit with this text, it, it's, it's certainly, at least for me, not a comfortable one. Um, we want you to come and save us from our self-sabotage. We want you to come and save us from our self-inflicted pain. But we want to keep doing what we did that got us into the mess in the first place. Oh, God, deliver us. Don't just save us from this. Lord, deliver us. Redeem us. Change us. Lord, there's something deeper going on here, even in this congregation of, of your people. We're suspecting that you want us to be your disciples too. That you want us to follow you to a cross. That you want to teach us how to die so that we know what it really is like to live. 
And I pray as we sit with the wonder of you being our Savior and our King in the ways that you define that. Help us, I pray, to have courage to follow you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.